Hello and welcome to the Red Sector GP podcast, where we discuss everything MotoGP 2 and 3. With me, as always, is the creator of the Red Sector, Josh Wilson. I am your host, Bono GP. Josh, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, just caught up on the racing, actually. Might be a sin to say that as a, as a <laughs> podcast host. I should be probably watching it live, but let's face it. How many people watched all three races live? Because I certainly won't get up at them times well, to watch it. So, yeah, surprisingly, I didn't. But that was more so because of because of work. If I didn't have work, I would have I would have been sad enough to do so. But I don't blame you for not. Um, but I was I was drinking the night before. So, uh, I... well, you, you've got to you've got to let let go a little bit sometimes of the year, aren't you? And if, if you're going to do it, the flyways I think are the right time because you're yeah. not going to watch them anyway, are you? No. Um, but, but yeah, obviously we've had the Japanese Grand Prix and we're recording this on the Tuesday um, leading onto the race week of Thailand. So we're a little bit later than what we wanted to be. But again, when you've got three races back to back to back, it can be quite chaotic trying to do a podcast three times in three weeks and align it all with different shifts and different work, whatever. Um, so yeah, that's the day we're recording on. So anybody that might get the time, I know sometimes when I listen back to the recording, it can seem like we've only, like when we release it, it's like we've recorded it an hour ago when sometimes it could be the day before or two days before or whatever. Um, and sometimes certain news comes out, obviously typical jinx for us, isn't it? Where we release a show and then something comes out straight after. Hence why, leading straight into the news as we always start with, um, Kazakhstan has joined the calendar for 2023. And that got announced today. So, initial thoughts, Josh? With, I mean, just for anybody who might not know, we've literally just come out with this today, that Kazakhstan will be a part of the MotoGP calendar as of 2023. I don't know how long it's going to be for. They might have might have set a date, but I would assume at least a three, four-year deal when it comes to new circuits. They don't tend to just sign as a, like a trial and error type thing and then see how it goes. So, we're probably looking at least a few years is to go to Kazakhstan um the layout is very well I say layout the actual circuit itself is very flat it's um it's kind of in the outskirts of the capital of Kazakhstan I think it is and it's pretty I don't know what do you think um well looking at it it I think it looks quite similar to Bahrain yeah. the setup they've probably yeah taken inspiration from that quite heavily and if it's if it turns out it's been the same designers then i wouldn't be surprised but my thoughts are i mean i was surprised actually when i heard the news because i don't remember any rumors about kazakhstan being added to the unless i was missing something well it's funny you say that because i think i in a podcast last year we did i think i briefly mentioned that like four or five years ago as of last year I remember seeing Jorge Lorenzo go out there to Kazakhstan and like have photos done with some form of project leader of building a circuit in Kazakhstan and had mentioned something back then about the possibility of it, of GP going there and saying that, you know, like, I think COVID obviously has had a bit of a, a, a blip, but I think with what he said, I think it was scheduled to be here for like 2019-ish, 2018-ish, mm. something like that. Um and which is why we're here now, where we are. Um, so yeah, I, I did. I I had it in the back of my mind. I, I remember when 
Um, Brazil got announced. That was due to start, I think, around COVID, or if not this year. Um, a new purpose-built track for GP is being built in Brazil and Hungary. And these have both India. been agreed. Yeah, India is also... Well, that, that's not been confirmed yet, but the bud circuit that the F1 used to race out is sort of being kind of hinted, isn't it, at the minute within the uh, within the media about MotoGP, well, making its first appearance in India, because as far as my knowledge is, I don't think we've ever been to India. Um, so as good as it is, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, sorry. I, I'm glad that it's going to new places. However, I do... I, I was tweeted about this earlier. I don't understand why we go to a flat pancake layout in the middle of nowhere, which, hey, might be a good circuit. But I look at Bruno, which is just an absolute... And I'm not being old school with being like, let's go back to the old tracks. But Bruno, to me, is one of the best tracks in motorcycling. Like, you know... And for me, that... Kialami, we've got we literally have two South African GP riders at the minute. One who's a staple in GP and has come through the ranks and won championship uh, in Moto Three. I just think, why would you not look into that market, especially Africa as well? Africa doesn't have a GP and hasn't since what two thousand and four or was it two thousand five? One of those two when we last went to uh, is it Fakasa Fakisa, where obviously we had that historic battle between Rossi and Biaggi. Um, I'm like. We now have the reason to do that with us having Brad Binder there. I mean, you know, that to me is a market that they could really, really gain from. It's not like F1 would go there and they go, okay, but we don't have any, you know, we don't have any reason to go there really. But then that answers, well, not answers, but asks the question, why are we going to Kazakhstan? Because the last, I think the only Kazakhstani rider we've had is Yarmolenko, I believe it was, in Moto3 three or four years ago um and you know not to piss on his chips or anything but he didn't pull any trees up for us to go we need to go to kazakhstan you know what i mean so mm. i don't know I, I i look at it and just think obviously it's just money driven because we're also we've also agreed to go to saudi arabia which i'm oh, so, yeah uh, massively <laughs> against i just the middle east money seems to be the priority over Everything a great else. circuit i mean esteril bruno i'm like I would give anything to have those back, but hey. I think, yeah, it's for me, it's just, it's not, I don't, I don't see it as a priority going and racing in um, Kazakhstan, which is no disrespect to Kazakhstanis. I mean, but as far as I'm aware, they're not populated with like the most fans that don't have a race, if you get what I mean, like as a mm. country. Well, it's like um, Indonesia. They've they've cried out for a race, and I, I completely get going there. You know, mm. the, the track makes sense because it's efficient all year round. It's not just the circuit that's getting you know benefiting from it. The locals benefit from it because of the amount of tourism that it brings in. Obviously, that applies to a lot of places, if not every track. But they they have got a unbelievable market, Indonesia, for motorcycle fans, and obviously motorcycles being the main use of transport in East Asia makes sense. You know, they, they benefit so much from it. Kazakhstan? It's just nothing. Why? I don't get how GP thinks going to Kazakhstan is going to rectify problems. I know this is years in the making. They haven't just decided, you know, this year to, to host it there. But sure, there's, there's other priorities. I mean, I'm just looking now at the list of venues 
on Wikipedia that have hosted a MotoGP race. And guess which is second? What, in the most hosted? Yeah, I mean, obviously we know which is first. Assen. Yeah, Assen's the first. Because I think Um... it's it's, it's only hosted... Um, it's only missed one, which was COVID. Yeah, the second most. I did know this, but I can't remember what it is. What is it? Bruno. Bruno. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, Bruno. It's hosted Bruno, 51, yeah. and that is being neglected. You know, that is it's the second yeah. most historic circuit on the, or used to be on the calendar. And we'd rather go to Kazakhstan. <laughs> which obviously Czech Republic is so good for the whole of East of Europe, which again... Yeah is a good market because you've seen with Austria when that's coming, obviously it has a lot of money behind it with Red Bull, but a lot of money with that comes high ticket prices, but they still, you know, they still do the the business to actually get it get it done and get it over the line with Eastern European fans coming to the likes of Red Bull Ring and Saxon Ring. And I thought Bruno mm. was always a good market for that. And obviously we have Hungary, but that's also just sort of fizzled away and not... F- I mean, I'm sure contractually they're obliged to run it, but it's like we we move faster on Saudi Arabia and Kazakhstan than what we do thinking about resurfacing Bruno or what we do Hungary or what we do Brazil. Like, again, these are markets where I think they're surely more valuable, but they're clearly not because the only thing they're thinking about is not markability, is financially what they gain from it in the fact that the, yeah. the, the organisers are paying them more to have it. I obviously, mean, it, it's like the, you know, Abu Dhabi for F1 pay a certain amount to be the finale of F1. They're not they're not like putting a hat and then picked out to be the last one. You know, Abu Dhabi have built that track because they want F1 in their country and they pay a lot to have it as the last, last uh, race because it was previously into Lagos, wasn't it? And I just think like stuff like that it just takes away where the priority is at. Because I know, it, I don't want to say every, I don't want to generalise people, but I would say, gun to my head, every F1 fan would prefer Inter Lagos as a finale as opposed to an Abu Dhabi finale. In the same way, I would prefer any race apart from Thailand and Valencia to be the finale. I, I mean, Sepang finale to me or Phillip Island would be unbelievably it would just it would generate such a better na- uh, like atmosphere for a finale but again the reason i'm talking about this is more where the priorities lie within dorna yeah. and within erta and whoever's making these decisions as to why we're going to places like kazakhstan because again you don't look at that track and go oh that's going to be a good one you look at it and just think well i guess yeah look, it is what it is look, like look look at all the fans in kazakhstan which are yeah. Now absolutely buzzing. I'm sure there are MotoGP fans in Kazakhstan, but there's no you know, at the minute. But, there's no stands there apart from the one on the home straight, like Qatar. There's there's nothing, and it, it just doesn't really make sense. I mean, I can understand South Africa. You know, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. But Brazil again, to a certain degree, I'm sure yeah, there's a lot of Brazilian motorsport fans. They're pretty mad for it, and. I'm sure that will be packed out if we if we do end up going there. But and even India to a certain degree because they're quite motorbike mad themselves. But well, I mean, Brazil's got a bit of a bit of a heritage with motorsport. I'm not just saying with like Ert and Senna, but you know, look at Alex Barros. I mean, Alex Barros must have been he was like a not part of the furniture in GP, but you'll know as well as I do. Alex Barros was racing before I was born, and Alex Barros 
wasn't just riding around for the sake of it. Alex Barros was a fucking good rider. And you've got, obviously, Morbidelli's, he's got his uh, Brazilian side of his family, which is like that kind of market, it helps them. And you've got the likes of Diego Moreira coming through, Eric Granado. Like, there are a couple of Brazilians yeah. that have been in and out that's like, that that creates a good market for it. We've had one Kazakhstani in GP in Moto3 for a couple of years, or I think it was like a year and a bit, and he got like the sack or something a third of the way through because of finances or whatever, but... You know, I'm not. I'm not blaming um, Kazakhstan for this. I, I'm also questioning again, Dorna, as to why that's why that's been the choice. Really. It is. I mean, if you think like um, for Kazakhstan, like you said, it's no point blaming them. But at the same time, if you look at the Dorna, obviously they just see the money. That I don't think there's anything else involved in any of this it is literally just the money that's all that um that's involved along with um a couple of other like saudi arabia for instance i'm sure we're not going there because of how many fans saudi arabia has um but again it's just a sign of the times i mean <laughs> it's quite funny actually because i don't think i've seen anyone mention it but of course formula one have got six sprint races next year aren't they right. and everyone is kicking up an absolute storm about it and i just think well MotoGP just went all out and said there's going to be a sprint race for, for all 23 races next is it 23 23 ish all, yeah all 23 races next season will have a sprint race and there's f1 complaining about six, six. out of 24 and i just think my god it's Bearing in mind, I don't care what you say, even though people all say F1 races are longer, GP is a lot more physical than F1, right? Um, F1 is very physical. I mean, Christ, they lose a, a hell of a lot in sweat. I think they lose like kilograms, don't they, of like of weight in just sweat. It's it it's For me, at F1, it's, or MotoGP, it's a fact, if you crash in an F1 car nine times out of ten, you're good to go, you really. Yeah, yeah you whereas you crash an F1 uh, MotoGP bike, you there's probably a 50-50 chance, you know, that you're going to come away with. But let's face it, if you if even if you crash a MotoGP bike, um, and you don't sustain any injuries, but you get concussion, that could that could rule you out for the next race. So on the Sunday, if you crash in the sprint race and get concussion, you might not even race on the Sunday, depending how how bad it's deemed. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, look at Nakagami. Nakagami's kind of toughed it out for his home race, um, which we'll get onto later. But um, he's ruptured a tendon, I think it is, in his finger. So he's obviously out this weekend and is being replaced by Tetsutu Nagashima, who raced in Japan. Um, but it's like in F one, you know, even at like the worst of worst crashes, like your Grosjean, you know, in but in Bahrain, mm. that's a one off. And, you know, that's more, that's, it's not, I don't know how to describe it, but it's not, it's not the crashing, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the fact that the, the flames were, you know, if it, if it weren't for the flames, if it weren't for the flames, he would have been absolutely fine to, to do the next week. Do you know what I mean? That's, mm. that's the top and bottom of it. Um, but yeah, that's what I mean. It's like 23 sprint races with that physicality and the Grand Prix. And it's just... That to me, I don't know. I don't know. We talk regularly about the priorities and you know the mindset of the people that are running this sport, and it just mm. seems to be going more and more. 
just it just keeps going further and further away from what ironically they've asked the fans what they want and the fans have told them what yeah. they want and on that survey list that we referred to um which we said people were against sprint races the majority of people were against it and they put them in there was actually a segment where it said didn't it like if you could you know return to certain tracks what would it be and i'm i'm pretty sure most people who i asked and most like you know the the the, the general public that did it were put in bruno Estoril and those you know those circuits yeah. people, or, or Laguna Seca or places like that I mean there's been hints about Spa being returned to the to the calendar but obviously the circuit I think it was the circuit owner or whatever mm. of Spa sadly oh, passed yeah, away yeah. it was a big you know they, they were a big advocate for MotoGP returning and obviously they've made state, bigger safety precautions at Erosion Rally on at Spa but there's a long way to go yet until bikes can go there GP wise um, well, but... didn't they uh, uh, didn't they get rid of the gravel traps in a couple of places, which I thought would have been preferable for motorbikes rather than tarmac? I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure what what other like adjustments they've made, but um, yeah, obviously now the the endurance are going there with bikes, so it's kind of a good test. To yeah, see that is... but my point being, Spa, the history, the legacy that Spa's got, how good. Like, no matter what your views are on Spa or whatever, how good it would be as a marketable thing to be like MotoGP and Spa. It's like, you know, it's like F1 when it went to Mugello. It was like, even though it was during COVID, if that became like a part of that calendar, and I'm not just saying it because it's Mugello, if it was Le Mans or Mugello, it would be sold out like that. It well, would be sold out I mean, straight away. Mugello's perfect for F1, in my opinion. But... Looking at Spa, at Spa, that's that's hosted um, forty MotoGP races. Yeah, so, I mean, sadly, every year or so, if not more than one a year, people were getting killed. But yeah, you know that's that's the hurdle, isn't it? They need to get that mm. hurdle out of the way. Which again, I'm like, it seems like that's sort of pushed to one side. That's my point. It's like, yeah, maybe Kazakhstan. Like, why? Why? <laughs> And I bet you any money, I bet you any money that the Saudi Arabia tr uh, event or race or whatever happens before Hungary, Brazil, any yeah, of them. It won't be, it won't be, uh, it won't be done geographically, like, you know, where they're all sandwiched together or anything like that. It'll be, it'll just be in a random place in the calendar, I think. Or who knows, it probably could end up being, knowing, knowing, I think it could end up being the last race of the season. What, Saudi Arabia? Yeah. I think they'll pay the money for that, definitely. Uh, you know something, Josh? I actually I actually agree with you on that one. I think it uh, yeah, could happen. I don't know if they'll do it could first happen. first time. I don't know how long how long do, do races or um how long do uh kind of venues have a right to host like the final race? Is there a contract in place or is it up to yearly up to Well <laughs> You know what I mean? It's one of them, isn't it? You you would think there was something in place, but it's almost like now the priorities are just shifting more and more about like let's just blindside everything and go with whatever suits. I guess, yeah. In. But I mean, if you were to ask me, you know, I'm, I'm just giving my honest opinion. I would scrap Aragon, I would scrap Valencia, I would scrap Thailand, I would fuck Kazakhstan and Saudi Arabia <laughs> off, and I would get some like. The tracks, I mean, it's like F1 going to... What have they got, like, three 
American races next year. It's like, what? I mean, the, the I know we're not an F1 podcast, but it it does make say it's you know it's the same context. I look at that Las Vegas track and I'm like, there is not one person who's agreed to that. When they've all sat around in that boardroom mm. and they've got that track up on the board or whatever, yeah. nobody has looked at that and gone, um, is it just me or does that track look a bit boring? Like, yeah, I, gone, How much are we earning from this? Because they're going to earn a absolute boatload from that. Exactly. But... They've probably Vegas probably gone around and said, that's literally the only track we can do. So take it or leave it and they've gone alright that'll do then but the, the, just looking at this list on Wikipedia there's so many that I'd love to see us race at I mean Magni Cors Magni Cors would be I, yeah I, I did think that earlier I did, I did think that earlier that'd be, Imola that'd, maybe great one Imola you, I mean they've, they've raced there before to, haven't they yeah yeah I think the last time they went there was 98 I think 13 99 I think was the last one yeah but but again, thirteen they've had there. I mean, there is so many on this list. I Monza, I, I don't think you could anymore. But they, you know, they've, they've raced Monza, some. Ducati would win that by about forty-eight. <laughs> yeah. seconds. They've won it there I, every single I one track. I would absolutely. I if, honestly, if you could, if you could give me one track to go back to, and you could say, right, we'll make it safe, we'll do whatever. Suzuka, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I would love to see GP back at Suzuka. Like it's got everything, you know. You come down the home straight, you've got that S section, the you know the the like weaving section at the start. You've got the bridge, you've got spoon curve, you've got one ninety R, is it called one eighty R, whatever it is, the fast left hander, like leading onto like the chicane, which is an absolute send it last corner, so to speak. And I don't know, it's just one of them tracks. I just think if if they could, if they could sort that track out, oh my god, that would be honestly. Mm. Mategi off. Fuck that. Go to go to. Zoom. I mean, we we should really make uh, Eddie's dream track a reality. Yeah, Eddie O'Shea. You know, if you haven't heard it, go and watch the Eddie O'Shea pod. Uh, listen, sorry, to the Eddie O'Shea podcast. And yeah, if if that track, if if Saudi Arabia and Kazakhstan get the track, maybe we need to walk in the boardroom with Carlos Espeleta with uh, Camelo Espeleta. Sorry, with Eddie and be like, put down the blueprints and say, what do you think to this? <laughs> tell him that the Saudis are paying for it and then he'll be like yeah, yeah let's, do, let's it. do it yeah get that yeah. car get the um the wooden bridge out of the wooden bridge uh, yeah. or whatever it was called whatever it is out of uh the uh Nürburgring and he stick it in the uh, Nordschleife uh, carousel didn't he like yeah made it out of wood and the corkscrew as well yeah um but, the, the but anyway the reign of Eddie O'Shea the future of British racing <laughs> yeah but uh, anyway, yeah. moving on, I think we've, I think yeah. we've kind of exhausted. Oh, we will, to be fair, you could rant about it for hours about how dumb Donna is. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the 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 main news topic was that. But the other news topic, apart from what we mentioned with um, Nakagami, we obviously have Petrucci, Danilo Petrucci's return into MotoGP as a wild card slash replace as replacement rider, more than a wild card. Um, for Joan Mir this weekend at the Thailand Grand Prix, which is good. I really like Daniel Petrucci. Obviously, he sadly missed out on the Moto America World Championship to Jake Garnier, but I mean, won at Dakar, and, finished yeah. briefly just behind, you know, first place in Moto America. Not a bad year for Danilo, Danilo, sorry, to finish it off with a GP ride on a bike that, again, 
he's not trying to get a job because there isn't a job there. So it's yeah. like, you know, for him, it's a paycheck at the end of the day, but he'll, you know, he'll definitely give it a good go. And I think he was kind of, it's, it's, it's sad to say really, but he, it was kind of overshadowed his leaving because his final race ended up being uh, Rossi's final race. So he mm. was kind of, it was kind of left out a little bit from that because all the focus was really on Rossi. So he can kind of have a, another send off, I think, in this one. I mean, he might he might wildcard again, I guess, but he can have a another one without any kind of Rossi. <laughs> mm. Any I mean, anyone he might, waving? He might put his name in the hat for a um, for a test rider ride. You never know. I mean, he might carry on it. I think the I, I remember hearing something about like his contract said that if he won in Moto America, it was like agreed upon in world superbikes that he would get a ducati ride maybe at the factory or whatever which kind of confuses me because rinaldi was confirmed to stay on at world superbikes alongside bautista before the finale of moto america so i don't know how true that rumor was um clearly not very but yeah i mean i don't know what petrucci's plans are for next year but for me at the age that petrucci's at i just think it's why not? I mean, why not? If if he carries on in Moto America and he has a bad year next year, he could sort of just fizzle away. He could come in this weekend, not do a bad job. Who knows? Aprilia might need, or you know, Savadori might go back to full time racing. Um, Piro might finish at Ducati. You, ne- you never know. You never know. You may as well keep your foot in the door, which I think is great for Danilo. And um, yeah, I don't think there's many people that don't like Danilo Petrucci because he's just one of them guys. Um, but in terms of other news, now we have Jake Dixon, who's been confirmed to stay on at Aspar for next year. We believe that um, Alberto Renas, like we mentioned last podcast, is going to Red Bull KTM IO team to replace Augusto Fernandez and be the teammate of Pedro Acosta next year. We have, um, who else do we have in terms of movement? Obviously, John McPhee, for, our, for us Brits, has not been announced upon anything yet. I don't know where he's planning on going. I, I get the feeling he'll... I want to say BSB, but I really don't know. I'm just generalising that. I'm not really, you know, I'm I'm just having a bit of a guess. Yamanaka has been announced at the Aspar team for 2023 alongside what is led to believe maybe Jose Rueda, um, who if he, I, I will say this right now, I don't know what age he is or what age he's like, I don't know. But if, oh no, not Jose Rueda, sorry. It might be Jose Rueda, but I believe it might be David Alonso. Great talent. Eddie O'Shea will back me up on that. He is a bloody good talent, is David Alonso. But I have heard that um, Jose Rueda might be coming to Moto3 next year, but I'm not sure if that's been confirmed or not. I will say, if he does, whew, that is, um, he might be going to Red Bull KTM IO, actually, for Moto3. But I'm just saying, give him... I don't know how the KTM will suit him, but I'm just putting it out there. Jose Rueda is unbelievably quick. So he's one to look out for. So um, what seats have we got left kind of pending? What seats have we got left? I mean, that's a great um, question. Like, especially for Moto2, I think that's the interesting one, really. Um, are we... Well, obviously, we've got, in terms of like the big hitters, obviously, Vietti, he's not moving anywhere, is he? Um, I see, I, I want to say that I think somebody like Mino might get that seat for Moto2 and Antonelli maybe go to Supersport. I, I, 
I really just don't know what that second seat is at, um, at the VR46 team because it's clearly a competitive bike and a great team. They've won championships. So it's like, you know, you would like to think that they'll have something in place. Um, but I have it in front of me. So in Moto2, the I'll read out the confirmed riders yeah. uh, for next year. So we have in speed up racing, we have... Alonso Lopez kind of yet to be confirmed, but is expected to carry on uh, with Fermin Aldegar. American Racing is Sean Dylan Kelly with the chance of being Rory Skinner, but that is, again, rumoured. Um, Tony Arbolino is confirmed for next year at Mark VDS. Sam Lowe's is not, but he's expected to carry on. Um, this is all being read out through everything motor racing, by the way, so I'm not going to take credit for this. This is his or their work, should I say. Uh, but again always come in handy um in the pons team we have obviously aaron Kinnett and sergio garcia which i think is a brilliant lineup um in gas gas we have what is led to believe jake dixon obviously and isa guevara which i see all but confirmed we have in grassini philip salach and jeremy alcoba which got confirmed so obviously alcoba goes back to grassini where he came from in moto three um Honda, Team Asia, the same, I believe. Chantra and Iagora. Ital Trans is kind of, Well, obviously we have Dennis Foggia, but Joe Roberts is maybe, but led to believe that he'll carry on at Ital Trans. Um, we have at the Liquid Moly Intact GP slash, I see here, slash Husqvarna team. Maybe they're putting some money into that. Uh, maybe a, a, a jump-up team through the Biaggi team, Steelgarda team in Moto3, I don't know. But uh, we have what looks like Lucas Tulovo, uh, Tulovic and Darren Binder as a maybe. So Darren Binder looking like he might have a ride in Moto2 next year. Um, Muni VR46, Celestino Vietti and Nicola Antonelli, both riders expected to carry on. But like I say, I believe Antonelli should move aside because he looks like he's really struggling in Moto2. In the Mandalika SAG team, which is Bo, Bo Ben Schneider and um, Dallaporta for next year, he, that has been confirmed. So Dallaporta carried on in Moto2. Um, we have Alberto Arenas and Acosta in Rebel uh, KTM IO. Baltus and Van der Gerberg carrying on in their WR Racing GP team. In the Master Camp team, it's meant to be Manuel Gonzalez and Kubo again. And in the MV Augusta team, we have Alex Eskridge and Marcos Ramirez. So the riders that are provisionally out is Jorge Navarro, who's, I believe, going to Supersport. Um, Augusto Fernandez, because he's going to MotoGP. Marcel Schrotter, who's confirmed that he's already out. Cambobier, who's confirmed that he's out. Zaccone, we don't know yet. And uh, Tiger Harder, who started off at the Master Camp team. Oh, no, not Master Camp team, sorry. The SAG team is out. So, yeah, that's that's that for, for Moto2. And then quickly, Moto3, in terms of like the big the big hitters, really, I mean... We, we don't really have anything massive. Obviously, like Vision Track team expected to carry on with Scott and Josh. We have Harrison Voigt coming into the Moto3 uh, grid with the Sitch 58 squad and taking his, well, not taking his seat, sorry, but the seat he's taken is Lorenzo Falan, who has been confirmed to the CIP team. Um, IO team is led to believe as Dennis Anjou and Jose Ruiz. 
which, like I say, I think is really good because Dennis Onjo has a KTM deal led to believe until 2024. So they've quite clearly locked on quite heavily for Dennis Onju. We have CIP, like I say, Lorenzo Falan and Joel Kelso, sorry, has obviously left that team for the CF Moto team taking Carlos Tatai's ride, who has not been confirmed with a ride yet. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it really in terms of like the, the big the big names. Sasaki's led to believe that he's staying on at the Max Biaggi Husqvarna Steel Guard team. But again, there's nothing really too big to talk about. However, you know, we do, we do obviously have like Messiah going to Leopard uh, back to where he was again. But yes, that's kind of it when it comes to the rider market. Now, we probably banged on a little bit too long in terms of the news. However, that is kind of it, really. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's me sort of out of breath after doing that. So let's get yeah, in. you've... Uh... Let's get into the race. Yeah, Aye. somebody might have got lost listening to that. But yes, in Moto3, we have a final result of Izan Guevara winning his, I think, is it fifth race, fourth race this year? With a podium of Foggia and Sasaki in third. Um, yeah, this was quite an interesting race, pure and simply because it sent that Izan Guevara had rocket fuel in the back of his uh, gas gas bike from lap one he'd made eight overtakes in eight corners i think it was um insane start uh we obviously had a quick shout out to scott ogden a past guest of the red sector podcast qualified in p2 it was a great ride from scott in sat on saturday sorry um yeah nothing but good good things to say about scott on saturday However, on Sunday, Scott managed a 20th place, uh, a minute and six behind Izan Guevara. I think he had a lot of issues with with that bike. I really don't think in the dry. It's, I think that bike's still got a long way to go. But honestly, no credit taken away from Scott because, frankly, you know, as easy as it is to say, you know, you don't win races on a Saturday, do you? But, you know, not clearly no, no easy feat on the bike that he's on to get P2. I think given a bit of extra power, he could have been looking at a pole position. Exactly. Um you know, the say Rain is a great equaliser, so it just shows that he he's got the talent and of course if you if your bikes are, are more on level level pegging in the wet, you do stand a better chance. But to get a P two, wow, that was that was something special from him. Um especially a circuit. Let's not forget, as far as I'm aware, he's never been to Mategi before. No, he hasn't. So to do it on the circuit he's never raced that before is incredible. Um so all hats off to him. But again, like you said, in the dry, the bike is just way off the pace. And I think he was always going to end up kind of slowly dropping down the order. Um, again, it is a bit of a shame that he didn't manage to to get points. But uh, well, he, I think he, he had a broken own. fairing as well. That's important. Oh, me. yeah. Yeah, actually. I do remember that now. Yeah. Which I'm not sure when that happened. I'm I not sure if there's some contact um, in the pack or something and... Of course, as we saw with Sasaki in the first race of the season, if you have a bit of broken fairing, mm. that can that can massively uh, impact your your race pace. So um, it is a shame. And then again, with um, Josh Watley getting taken out yeah. once again for like the, the second race in a row. Yeah, he's not had great uh, luck, has he, Josh? Literally, um... I think this whole season he's not had much luck at all, which is a a huge yeah. shame. But I mean, these things happen in a in a you know a, a very 
raw team, raw ride. Obviously, Josh is only 16. Mm. He's got a lot to learn. The team's got a lot to learn. But I, I do think it'll come good for him. I mean, obviously, it was no no fault of Josh's. And quite frankly, it was no fault of Joel Kelso's. He simply had a high side. And, you know, yeah, you get yeah. caught up in these things when you're that far in the in the middle of the pack, can't you? So it's, you know, it's like what we were saying about Quattararo last week. It, it is nobody's fault, but it is frustrating, especially when it's, you know... I think Josh has got taken out on the first lap as well. It's important to mention on both both races, he's not even managed to get past one lap. So a lot of data, but no nothing to show for it really. But again, the, these will come in him good for next year. You know, when he comes to these tracks and there's rookies that haven't been there and he's already got a, a weekend's worth of data in the same team, you know, to work on that setting or, you know, kind of like a staple point to move on from next year which i'm hoping will be a obviously better year for the team for the bike and for each rider so yeah it was a weird one obviously we had jamie Masia high side four laps to go which was no small crash but um i think it's safe to say that akiayo looked i think he looked ready to cut ties with jamie Masia when when that crash happened there was no real emotion it just looked dead behind the eyes for yeah akiayo, but... i mean he's had He's had a fair few uh, bites of the. Mm. I don't know the word now. What's the cherry? Saying? Bites of the cherry, aren't they? Really? Um, yeah, yeah. And and with the with the talent at hand and the options available, it's, it's it is looking like Messia might might be running out of time. Really. Yeah, and obviously we had Dennis Onchu finishing fifteenth, which most people would be like, "What the hell is Onchu doing all the way down there?" Onchu injured himself in the warm up, which I will get onto the warm up in a second. But he injured himself in the warm-up and then ran, I think he got nudged off or ran wide in turn three and had to rejoin the kind of after the long lap loop very far back. So again, it's a bit of a bit of a forgotten weekend, I think, for Dennis Onchu. But on the warm-up point I was gonna make, Izan Guevara, Josh, I don't know if you watched the clip or saw the clip, just plain ran into John McPhee on the street and caused a crash and you know, if someone would, if someone was behind him, that would have been brutally like worrying. Um, I don't get how he's not been penalised for it, because we look at Onju last year and he got banned for weaving, and because Guevara's not crashed into anybody else and it's just a bad crash, it's like forgotten about, no penalty, no, not even spoke, not even noticed as an incident. I, I think's bizarre. Yeah. Um. To be fair, I don't remember seeing that. I. Like I said, I watched the race kind of from lights out, so mm. I, I didn't see that. But by the sounds of it, you, you would have think there would have been a long lap or something at least. Yeah, it was um, like so. Imagine coming out of turn four. You know, once you've done like the first first couple of corners straight, for next couple of corners straight down that straight, Guevara was behind McPhee and then weaved from right to left. I think it was into the back of McPhee. And then, like the bike, kind of like landed again, and then smashed into the side of the, the fencing on the street. So make of that what you will. Go and look it up. Mm. Um, and it would be John McPhee, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, it would. But I mean, I think it was Matt Oxley or David. I think it was David Emmett that posted a tweet about it, and you can see the picture on Twitter um, that he posts about where you can kind of understand where he's coming from. And his views are exactly the same as mine. I just find it. Again, it's almost like uh, it's like what we keep saying about the stewards. God forbid they come up again. But it's like what <laughs> we keep saying about the stewards in that it, like, it's it's got to take someone to get hurt for them to do something. 
again. Yeah. The, in- yeah. the inconsistency of MotoGP stewards, but hey, reactive. That's not, that's not, yeah, they're reactive, not proactive. But all in all, I think it was a great race. I'm not going to take anything away from it. I actually think Moto3 was a good race. They showed some real good racecraft between the top what was four. Um, Guevara again, though. I'd, this is why I thought even pre like Silverstone when he when he got crashed out or whatever. And even like races like Argentina, where he had a he had a mechanical issue and he pulled off. But again, it's just like you look at races like that now. You know, if Guevara got took out next race, I I would be so confident in winning the championship still, because every weekend I look at Garcia and it's like it's like he, he, he's not he, not like he can't be asked, but it's like he's not woken up until FP three when he's like, oh, I need to get into Q two. Then he might come through Q one the odd weekend and. He just never, like, before, Garcia seemed to really... It was like the Alberto Renas of 2020 where, you know, if somebody overtook him, he'd get straight back and you thought, okay, this mm. guy this guy knows what he's doing. He, it's, it's not like he's, you know, going to get beaten up in the pack. Garcia now looks like the rookie as opposed to Guevara. I know Guevara's not a rookie, but, like, do you know what I mean? Guevara looks... He just makes everything his own. Anyone gets near him, he's just back at them and just leads comfortably, confident... Just great racecraft. And you know when I've noticed with Guevara, when it comes to the last four or five laps and he's led all race, it's like he's got another tyre in there. Like yeah, even at yeah. Aragon, where Sasaki, you think, okay, Sasaki's going to, you know, he's going to pull him in now for the last few laps and have a go at him. Couldn't get near him. Could not get near him. I mean, Foggia, Sasaki and Messia, they were all, I mean, look at Messia, they were pushing to the absolute, you know, max. To, to get close to him and Guevara for the last few laps, he weren't setting record time, but he just puts in such consistent laps under such pressure for what, an 18, 19 year old leading a world championship? It's like he's done it before. It's like I say, it's so, so good to watch. Uh, people might think it's boring because they're not clattering one another into the last few corners, but as a spectacle to watch Guevara, honestly, I, I, I think he is. I, I I put him in the calibre of the Pedro Acosta's. I really do. I'm... Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I mean, if it he's from the start of the season, he has just gone from like strength to strength, hasn't he? He's yeah. he's he's improved and he's become more consistent. A better he's improved his racecraft, he's been better on the track. Um as the season's gone on, he's just matured. Because uh, if you look at the likes of Garcia and Fodger, who've kind of been his two two challenges for most of the season, they've just it's just been mistake heavy. You know I mean, they've all just season. stagnated and sort of like mistake here, not make it into Q two or yeah. bad start or get beaten up. Like Guevara qualifies well, great race pace from Friday. You know, quick in warm up, apart from smashing his fucking bike up when he likes to, but usually quick in warm up. Like there's there's never an off day for him. Do you know what I mean? He's just he's consistent. Yeah. He puts it all out there, and he never looks. You know, like when someone's leading and they've been leading for the majority of the race and they start to get shown, right, there's someone right behind you and they start, you can see sometimes, you know, I mean, I know it can happen depending on what bike you're on, but like sometimes in Moto3, obviously young kids, you can see it at times where they'll outbreak on a particular corner or they'll be all over the place or whatever. Guevara, it's like, honestly, it's like he's out on a test day and saying, right, you've got four laps to go, come in. Come in, yeah. like, all apps. It's like tick, 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 tick. It's it's unbelievable. It's like how he just goes into looks. autopilot. And that's, that's what, it. yeah. He, he goes into all autopilot. And you see Messiah crashing like that. You see Sasaki 
at his home race. So I thought, oh, I think Sasaki might win this one because, you know, he's going to put it all out there. He put it all out there. There's no way on earth he did not put it all out there. He mm. knows he's not going to win the championship, Sasaki. His home race, great chance to win. And he finished 1.7 seconds off Guevara, who, like I say, it wasn't even like Foggy made a mistake, Sasaki made a mistake or whatever. He was just so much better than them. So much better. Um, and it kind of makes me want to give Guevara the ride of the day just because of how professional and how good he has looked the the whole season, really. But yeah. honestly, if Guevara doesn't win this championship, I will feel bad for him, depending on how it happens, obviously. But I just can't. Can you see anyone getting near him? I can't. No, I don't think there's going to be any foggy heroics this season like there was last season. I don't think... I think someone's you know, going to have to take him out. Yeah, well, Darren Binder and around for that, so... Uh, <laughs> no, but <laughs> in all seriousness, it, I can't... I think it's just a formality now. He, he should wrap it up. Um, again, it, I, if you look at the standings, if we just quickly kind of run through the standards, I know we kind of usually leave that to last, but if we look at him now, he's he's like... I mean, just for 40. everybody, he's on Guevara's on 254, and second place being Garcia's on 209. Yeah, he's forty-five. So, he's forty-five ahead of Garcia, so he's yeah. he's got he's got a race win. Well, nearly nearly two race wins in hand. A race win and a second place in hand. So exactly. If we go to Thailand and Guevara gets wiped out and Garcia Garcia wins, it, do you know what I mean? He's like, okay, then I, I'm within a second place now of him. It's like, are you are you gonna pull that one off? Because I just mm. I get even like Mugello, which I remember like. With Guevara, I mean Garcia won that because Guevara went on the green, but it's like Guevara just went, no, 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 I, I, I'm winning. It, it just like in the terms of like both being on the same team, Garcia being the more experienced. I thought, you know, he'll, he'll put him in his place maybe, but Guevara just he just looks like Garcia's help, not helping him out, but it's like they've not given up on Garcia, but they just like yeah, Guevara's Guevara's it. And to be honest, to be honest, I rate Garcia. I really do rate Sergio Garcia. I think he's ready for Moto2, but I think Aspar have made the right move in keeping Garcia, uh, Guevara, sorry, over Garcia. I think Garcia will do really well at Pons, but Guevara, yeah, at the age that he's at, about yeah. to win a Moto3 title in his second year, yeah, that to me 100%. is more of an exciting prospect than what it is yeah. with Garcia, as good uh, as Garcia is. Uh, yeah, I think Garcia's just a bit, being a bit unfortunate, whereas... You know, he was fighting for it last season against Acosta. And then he's fighting. It's like two, almost two once-in-generational talents yeah. he's, he's having to fight against. Um, so it is a bit... But at the same time, you know, Garcia's... Again, he's no, he's not like he's brand new to to the to the class, is he? So, mm. you know, he hasn't got that excuse as well. So I do think it is the right decision, like you said. Um, I think for me, uh, right of the day... Probably Sasaki. I'll go with Sasaki. I think getting getting a podium at your home race is definitely something to to be kind of lauded. Yeah, lauded I mean, over for rider of the day for uh, Matt. For anybody listening, Matt is the other co-host of the podcast that is sadly not here with us. Um, he's not dead. He's just not able. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's not. He's first... not. You know, he, he is alive and well. He's well, just I'm, not here to record. I'm glad uh, you cleared it up because you're about to give his rider of the day. So <laughs> yeah, like his last dying wish was giving us the rider of the day from um, beyond the grave. <laughs> is 
I mean, again, make your own views of this, but I think it's a bit weird that he's picked this, but um, his ride of the day is Scott Ogden for getting his first front row start of his career, which obviously we're all massively thankful for having Scott on the uh, on the podcast before. And quite frankly, since he's been on the podcast and prior to having him on the podcast, I've been a big fan of Scott and wanted him to, you know, get the, the opportunity that I think he thoroughly deserves in Moto3. And I just think, although the result wasn't there on the Sunday... I think that'll give Scott a lot of confidence, not just when it rains, but, you know, th- there's no doubt that throughout this year they've had a lot of doubt in the fact that the bike's not there, but Scott must sit, sit there and think, and Josh at times must sit there and think, am I not getting enough out of me? You know, am I mm. pulling my weight? And, you know, I know you said it's a great equaliser is the rain. I know that's what it's known for, but I think it's a good confidence boost. And for maybe Josh as well, knowing that, you know, that the the potential in the bike can be there. And if Josh thinks, which he said to us, he thinks, you know, he, he can be quicker than Scott, given the time and given the, the opportunity for it, then, you know, I, I think it's only a positive, even though the results weren't there for either Josh or Scott. But, um, yeah, a nice, a nice um, thing from Matt there, giving it, to, giving it to Scott. So my rider of the day, I'm going to give it to... Uh, I'm going to give it to David Munoz in P5 because I think people just glance over the fact that, again, it's like he's 16. He's 16. Um, and that's what he's doing, yeah. And he's on a bike which, if you look at his teammate, Anna Carrasco, is 53 seconds off the lead from. And people look at David Munoz because he came not winning, but like kind of like all over our screens, wasn't he, when he first came in in Catalonia and whatnot i just think people are it's like what we said about the acosta effect with the fact that if he doesn't win the motor two world title straight away people are going to say oh he's not as good as what people think he is he's won two races do you know what i mean pedro acosta's won two races in his first year of motor two not many people do that not many people do that um given the fact that he's broken his leg as well so yeah um i'll give it Dav- david munoz which as I just mentioned, with Pedro Costa, leads us kindly on to Moto2, which we had a finishing order of Ayagora, Augusto Fernandez, and Alonso Lopez. Now, how happy were you, Josh? I don't know if you were happy as I was to see a Japanese rider win in Japan. Because yep. given a three-year layoff going to Japan, although, you know, I, I know I've made my views clear on Thailand and whatnot, but like you have to look at it from a different perspective in the fact that there are Thai fans, Japanese fans, and Indonesian fans as well, which have been waiting for their race to start. Australian fans, Malaysian fans, and all the East Asian and Asian fans that are going to attend these races that have been dying out for a race. We're great, you know. We're very lucky in the sense of we have races here no matter what. Even during COVID, they were Europe, 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 and you know, it's nice to be back, isn't it? It's nice to be back in Asia. I think. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Like I said, over the moon with him winning, really. I think he's deserved it. Definitely. His performance this season has been outstanding, really. Of course, him and um, Fernandez have really had the outstanding rides of the season. Um, and for him to win, bearing in mind, again, 2019 was the last time he was in Japan. Um, so for him to to win for the Japanese is incredible. Um, again, we know how, how influential the Japanese are on this sport. And I dread to think where this sport would be without Japan involved in it. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, what, who would we have? What would we have? Um, but 
yeah, he, he thoroughly thoroughly deserves it. It's huge comp- confidence boost, obviously, for the title. He's now two points behind um, Fernandez, who came second, which was a brilliant result for him. Yeah, great ride at the end there. Um, and I do think, yeah, I do think I, I, it was kind of meant to be. I think, as as silly as it sounds, um, it was meant to be. And going to Thailand again, you know, it's not exactly a home race for him, but carrying that momentum into Thailand. <laughs> You'll have a lot of Thai support there for Chantra, um, but there'll be support there for Agora, I'm sure, as well. So, really, um, this is just this is perfect timing, really, for his championship challenge. I think to have to have the Japanese Grand Prix this late on in the season, mm-hmm. I think this is really his perfect timing for him, and it's it'll it'll do wonders for him. Um, but again, Fernandez, if you want to talk about how he did in second, I mean, oh, give yeah. it. Give it, you could argue, how many more laps? Maybe Three, he would have four, been in there. Yeah, yeah. He, he could have maybe, you know, challenged for, for a win. Um, and of course, and of course, I think if you look at the likes of Canet and um, Vietti, you know, we've seen those kind of win. You know the, those title challenges. I mean, Vietti's second half of the season has been literally night and day compared to his first half. The, you cannot even. There is no comparison at all. Um, and Canna again was in the lead for for yeah. a brief period. Yeah. How how off? When when is it going to get a win? Honestly, uh, it's just it's ridiculous how long we're waiting now did for I, a win. Did I did I not say Canna would win in the last podcast jokingly? I, um, I said somebody would win. Like I'm pretty sure I said Canet would win in Japan or some something. I'm sure I did. And then we joked about him being jinxed. I might have to go back and listen to the yeah, old podcast. Yeah, I think possibly. I mean, I think at this point, Canet, the only chance of Canet to win in is to be in second place for like the whole race and then whoever's in first to bin it on the final lap. Yeah, I mean, Canet's because... put up a great fight in the sense of he's been consistent, hence yeah. why he's, he's not won a race and he's he's where he is in the championship. Mm. Um, however, you have to give credit to, like you've said, with Augusto and Ayagora, because the, the standard that they've set is not Remy Gardner, Ralph Fernandez, pure and simply because the bike they were on was straights ahead of everybody else, but just in the sense of, you know, two two different bikes, two different teams entirely, and two different riders. I think Augusto Fernandez and I got the way they go about each weekend is not like like for like. It's not like with Peko and Fabio where you see them through the weekend and they're like glued to one another where they are. You know, it, it, they're, they're very different in their approach. And Augusto Fernandez, obviously, I think he's a bit more aggressive than Ayagora. But Ayagora, again, like I say, I, just, I was so happy for him. I was so, so happy to see a Japanese winner win in Japan. Um, and maybe this is me just being a little bit old school, but I, I would quite like Agora to win the championship, not because I have anything against Augusto Fernandez. I think, I think to be honest with you, looking at the whole year, I think Augusto's probably, it's hard to say two, two points difference, but I think Augusto's looked more dominant. Um, but I just want to see, I mean, he might not use it, but I want to see a number one play in Moto2 next year. That would be quite cool if Agora uses the number one plate if he wins the championship. Because um, obviously we won't see that with Augusto because he's going to gas gas next year with Paul Aspargro. Um But yeah, no. In terms of this race, it was it was stellar from Igor. I mean, 
at one point, you know, obviously had to fight his way through, let's not forget, as well as Augusto Fernandez. They didn't start P1 and 2 from the start. Um, and yeah, obviously we've got the likes of Jake Dixon in P4 who narrowly missed out on a P3. Again, I think a couple more laps, I think Jake would have been on the, bo- uh, the box. Mm. But Alonso was really struggling with his tyres. Chantra, like you've said, I think going into next week, that'll do him a lot of good. P5, again, great result. You've got to remember, this Honda Team Asia bike, two or three years ago, was regarded as the worst bike on that grid by a mile. Like It it never used to be competitive. Never. Mm. Never used to be competitive. The only time it was competitive-ish was when Nakagami had the odd good race on it. We're talking like seven, eight years ago, so... You know, that, that team have come on leaps and bounds. I think the addition of um, Hiroshi Ayama has really helped in that team. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Pedro Costa, P7. People, again, the Acosta effect will look at it and say it's not that good. The guy is still injured. He won a race last week and he's still injured. He might yeah. not say he is, but, you know, you know, if I broke my leg tomorrow, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not injured for the next four months. You know, you've broke your leg. It's not yeah, exactly. It's not like he's had a year out, is it? So, um, yeah, no, some hit and miss results, really, I think, throughout. Obviously, like you mentioned, Kinect crashed out. Uh, we've not mentioned Fermin Aldegar crashed out, who I was yeah. really frustrated with him crashing out because I really did think he had the pace to challenge for the win, if not at least the podium. 100%. Um, if you look at his teammate. Yeah, I mean, he looked very frustrated with himself. He's crying. It was a complete rider mistake. But again, he's very young. I don't want to sit there and give him that excuse with everything. But, you know, these these things can happen. New track, never been before. 16, 17 years old. I think he's 17 now, isn't he? Uh, Fermin mm. Aldegar. It. I, I think it'll be good for him next year. When, when he's had a full year like he has this year with like the flyaways and everything else, I think next year he'll, he'll start to kind of get rid of those mistakes. Same with Vietti. I think this year he's been given a really competitive bike, but there's just certain little things that are coming into play. Like the Austria one, that's the biggest one that stands out to me with Vietti, is the fact that he was chasing for for first, wasn't he? He was chasing, chasing mm. them down, the Honda Team Asia boys. It looked so much quicker. I think he was like eight tenths quicker a lap. And he just tried, like tripped over his own feet in a sense, you know, tried to bite off more than he could chew and tried to rush it. Whereas really, if he'd have just took his time, it was quicker on pace anyway. He probably would have won that race. I just think this crashes like that, I think, with Vietti, where next year, I think with the, with the team that they've got around them and, you know, the likes of Rossi and Bagnaia that he trained mm. with and stuff like that, I think those sorts of mistakes will iron out. I don't think they'll happen as much. Yeah, I, I don't think it... I don't think it's done him any good at all leading the championship so no. early on for so long. I think obviously mentally he probably he probably really wasn't prepared for it. Um, you know, because he won the first race, second, first, then he obviously DNF'd in America, but then he, he had that fortunate kind of he had that fortunate second in Portugal. Um, you know, when half the grid crashed out. Uh and then his form after that kind of dipped. He got, he got, he won in uh, which Spanish was it Catalonia? Yeah, yeah, he won in Catalonia. But other than that, he's not really had much. It's just that that early stint of points mm. put him first for a little while, and I think it's really done him his himself in because he's kind of he's probably had to feel like, look, I'm leading this championship. I've got a I've got to really be acting like I'm leading this championship, you know. I've got to, I've got to be, kind of, 
outriding every other rider. I've got to maintain this lead. Um, I can't let the gap close and things like that. And I think it's probably just got to him mentally. Yeah. Um, whereas everyone else is kind of, you know, everyone like I think most people prefer to be the chaser rather than being chased. And I think as most people have started to get into the stride, such as Fernandez, uh, Fernandez, Agora, Canet, um, they all start to get into the stride and chased him down. And I think it's just got to him mentally. So, you know, hopefully next season he might have a a bit like you could say a bit like Quartararo in 2020 when he he kind of had yeah that little wobble and and it never really recovered and. Hopefully, he'll come back from that next season. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with that analogy as well with Quattararo. I think it could be a case of that where, you know, he, uh, if I'm betting now, you know, obviously he's got a great foundation around him. I'm not even just saying that because it's VR46, but that team, you know, they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna drop tools, are they, tomorrow and say, oh, we're we're sacking it off. Yeah. You know, they've got they've got a great team around them, a lot of experience around them in GD in Moto2 and again the caliber of riders he's training with and that's around him and the you know the funding and everything else that goes into their careers from the VR46 Academy I have no doubt that Vietti I don't think you know what I mean I don't see him coming back next year a worse him I only see him coming back a better him next year I don't think mm-hmm. it'll it'll be a detriment to him that he's he's had a few falls this year I think again he'll just learn from it and he's that kind of rider he looked that that kind of rider in Moto Three. He's matured to come to Moto Two. He's got better each year. Let's not forget because the first year he was sort of the here and there. I remember he had a good result in Austria in uh, his first year in twenty twenty one, and then this year he's got better. Yeah, he's made a few crashes. He's a race winner now, a multiple race winner in Moto Two. So he's not slow. He just needs to iron out a few of those few of those mistakes, and then who knows? We could see a Canet, Agora, Vietti. Title fight, maybe the likes of Arbolino Acosta next year. There's a lot of good names in for next year's uh, title fight for Moto Two, and I think it's looked better this year, Moto Two, in terms of the racing. So I'm really looking forward to next year as well. It's been exciting this year for the most part, Um, and next year's looking really good because of how how competitive it is, and we're spoiled really for the talents we have. And it's a shame because again, a lot of those probably won't get a seat for. 2024 um mm. you know so but at the same time yeah we're going to have we're going to have a good battle for the championship next season definitely in motor two um anyone else you want to touch on obviously jake dixon yeah Neil, jake, um, very chantra, close but, chantra yeah. going getting fifth which yeah so i mean i think chantra i think that's a good result really 12 really seconds good. off is not it's not too bad considering Augusto and Fernandez were uh, Augusto Fernandez is uh, because Agora and Fernandez were what six seconds at least yeah. in front of Alonso Lopez in third. So I mean, you know, okay. I think Chantra will have you know you have that bit between your teeth, don't you, when it's your home race as well. So exactly. like I say, so there's some good, good results. Momentum. There. Um, momentum. For rider of the day, Matt has picked Alonso Lopez, which I don't think is a bad shout. I think Matt's got a great respect for people on the Bosca score and delivering, and yeah. I don't see why not really because. Alonso Lopez obviously crashing out last race in Aragon. Big confidence knock maybe in lap one because it didn't look like it really sat with him very well after the race and whatnot when he was mm. doing his debrief. So, you know, I think it's one of them where it's good that he's come in and sort of eased back in, got a podium and a well-earned podium. So good shout from Matt for Alonso Lopez. Um, do you want to go next? Do you want to give it Jake Dixon or whatever? I don't know who you're going to give it to. but No, I'm, I'm going to give it to Agora. To be honest, yeah, yeah, no, honestly, I, 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 I thought the same thing. I know. To be fair, we shouldn't 
we, we try not to give it to the winner because it goes usually the winner goes without saying. So you're trying to give it to someone else. That's how we usually do it on the podcast. But it's like I think the, in this, not in this like scenario, the Spargo one, but it's like when everyone can be like happy for that. Yeah, that winner. Do you know what I mean? Mm, definitely. So he, he's my rider of the day, hundred percent. Um, I'm gonna give it to, um, you know, what? I'll give it to Jake. I'll give it to Jake. Um, I think he had a he didn't have a great start, and I look at Aragon last week, and I'm like, you sort of crossing your fingers, toes, and everything else for Jake to not bin it when it really comes down to it. And I was sort of thinking the same thing. I thought, don't get too greedy. If you can't take P3 and it's too much, just bring P4 home. You know, he needs high race finishes as opposed to fighting for P1, 2, or 3 and binning it. So yeah, it's not, um, there's no point having that win it and bin it mentality, is there? Yeah, no, really? no, there isn't. There isn't. Actually, you can only have that win it and bin it mentality when you're Fabio Quattararo, Pecco Bagnaia, Mark Marquez, and Maybe Brad Binder because you get a contract for twenty odd years. Apart from that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? Like win it and bin it. Yes, if it's a championship. Yes, if it's you know groundbreaking, it's going to change something. But for a for a podium in Japan, when you already know you check your your contract signed and sealed for next year, a P four is a great result at the end of the day. You know, like I've said, Fernandez and Agora were seven seconds in front, six seven seconds in front of Lopez. So apart from those two who, like I've said, the pace was bloody brilliant for the last five or six laps on them two. Dixon, best of the rest, kind of, with Alonso Lopez. So, yeah, no, great result for Jake. Which moves us on to MotoGP. Main event. The main event, which... I said this from the start watching it. It was like a... Um, it, it's like it, it gets it to that was... part of the year. What I was saying last, last week in the... You've got this championship fight. You've got all these things going on where riders that you just don't expect to win will win because they've got they've you know they ain't got it on their mind. It's just to them it's another race. So obviously I'm not taking anything away from Jack Miller, but the finishing top three is Jack Miller, Brad Binder, and Jorge Martin. Now anyone that can show me a bet slip for them um, <laughs> predicting those as a top three, I'll double it because honestly. That was quite a surprise. I didn't expect Jack Miller to have that good a pace. He finished 3.4 seconds in front of Brad Binder, who kind of, again, what we've just been talking about, waiting for the right time and sort of great racecraft against Jorge Martin. I think Martin had the medium rear on and Brad Binder had the hard rear. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what the case was. Brad Binder managed his tyres so well so that the last couple of laps he was just quicker and Martin didn't really have anything to fight back with. But credit to them because those are three riders that have been like well i won't say critiqued but you know miller's had his past where he's just sort of been very hit and miss brad binder that bike has not been anywhere that year, this year or last year or whatever so it's good for ktm to actually have the guy that's staying there on that bike and the guy that's on it next year jack miller winning but obviously it's good for them to see some form of result and obviously jorge martin who has had a pretty for his standards, pretty poor year um, to get on the podium. But we also have to mention Mark Marquez getting P4. Um, yeah. Great ride for Mark. Mm. Great ride. I mean, that kind of puts a shock up everybody else's system, I think, when it when you consider he's only been declared fit a week ago. Um, well, but again, I mean, he's position good, as well. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, 
he's good around Mategi. He always has been, but that take nothing away from him. You know, that bike's not been anywhere, has it? So no, it's not. It's not all. You have to you have to give credit where credit's due. And Miguel Oliveira in P five, again, you you've got to give him credit because that bike's not been anywhere all year. It's not like they have. You know, when I hear Peko speak, he goes, you know, I use the the system that uh, the setup I used at last race. So when I go to Thailand, I'll use whatever we left Japan with. You can't do that with a Honda. There's no way on earth you could do that with a Honda. I mean, fucking other bike. The bike looks either like a, a a bag of nails or it looks all right at best, doesn't it? You know what I mean? All, all year it's looked very. On a good day, it's been like mm, the Hondas have made it to Q2, and it'd be like one or two yeah. of them. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it has been really lackluster for them this year. So obviously, Mark being the uh, the better of the four riders, of course. You expect it, but again, you, you got to give him credit. Luca Marini in P6, he again, he's so overlooked, so overlooked. I think Luca Marini. He's just going about his business. He it, does, doesn't it, he? He just, he just comes through. He doesn't. He never. He never falls back. Have you noticed that? He never. He'll never start in like P4 and end up P14. He, he's always just ticking off, ticking off, ticking off, ticking off. It's it's a good way. He's doing it probably the right way. So. Most riders probably coming through the the ranks, but in MotoGP, they'll kind of crash out and really inconsistent until they've got the pace, but they crash out, they're inconsistent, and then they slowly kind of work on the consistency. He seems to have nailed the consistency already. Mm. So now he's just going to probably, I think he's just going to slowly ramp up his pace as he gets more confident with it. Because his, his consistency, yeah, it's you can't knock it. He's gelled to that bike and he's he's... Since coming onto the scene last season, when it was his first season, you know he's just got better and better. He really has, and he's and he's not he's he's on the kind of the he's on the fourth string Ducati as well, mm. um, or he's in the fourth team of Ducati. Um, so he he's definitely one to keep an eye on for like next year and the year after because you know he's got he's got Ross's blood flowing through his veins. So we should definitely not. <laughs> This covenant, you know. <laughs> yeah, no. Obviously, he must get that a lot. With the, I mean, Alex Marquez must get it a lot as well. When you're related mm. to somebody that big and that good, yeah, you know, you get that that kind of tag to you a lot. But without going too far against what you've just said, you have to give Luca Marini credit for Luca Marini. You know, obviously, he's been given that chance because of the academy wise and whatnot. But he's not one of them that you can look at and say he's a paid rider or anything that he's just got that for nothing. He's literally. You know, he, he's putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak. I mean, he's not one to speak out on it, so he's not really doing that. But it's like people can look at that and say, well, he's only got that ride because of his brother. He, he proves it every week that he's worth that ride. Every single week. You mm. can't, you could not take Mourinho out of that team and get rid of him if he wasn't a VR. You know, if, if something happened and they got rid of him, you, you'd only be like, oh, oh, has he gone to Pramac or has he gone to Grassini? You know what I mean? Like, you, you would expect him to make a jump up, not anything less because he proves it every week so i just thought it'd be worth mentioning because again i think that's so little credit for how big of a result that he always seems to pull out in terms of the championship though josh we have well we have fabio quattararo in eighth now it it was well it was before we touch on that it kind of leads on to it but it was a bizarre race because again we've got the the kind of top three like I said, they are in championship contention, so they've got nothing to really race for. Um, 
It's but, like we rolled the dice on the top three contenders, isn't it? For the race, it, it was like it, a what's what's Fabio going to get? Uh, eighth. It was never it like really, a, yeah, yeah. it didn't look like that was what was going to happen. And it, it just was, quickly yeah. before we get on to the other points, Fabio said, and I think a few riders said, Mark said it as well about the inability to overtake because of the vacuum effect of getting close to riders, mm. not allowing you to break alongside or break near them. It basically meant that you had to either be past them before you got to the corner or risk everything on the brakes to the point where you felt like you were going to crash. And I thought it's a point that we've mentioned a couple of times in the fact that the racing seems to be less and less. I thought the race was great. Don't get me wrong. I thought the race was really good. Maybe a seven, eight out of 10. Not unbelievable, but all right, decent. Um, but it did make me think, I don't know, it just made me think like, I wish there was a bit more like ability to overtake because it looked like a lot of riders were struggling to overtake. Which leads us on to Peko Bagnaya crashing out on the last lap of the race into turn three. And I'll be honest with you, Josh, as you can imagine, my heart, when I, I think it went to Japan, I'll be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. I, when Bagnaya went down, how close he was to, to Fabio. Oh my God, you did not want to be my neighbour on Sunday. I'll tell you that inches. much. It must have been inches. That was literally. Wow. So close. I mean, ah, what a, what a weird circumstance. I mean, we have you have Banyai in ninth trying to pass Fabio for eighth. That's the kind of that's what it came down to. Because, like I said, those at the front. And bearing in mind, just to mention this that I heard from another podcast, um, this is the first ever time in a Japanese Grand Prix we've not had a Japanese bike on the podium. Yeah, which just shows kind of the. I don't know how it well, looks it, these it, days. It's, it's, um, it's good though, isn't it? In the sense of, it, you know, it's, it's not becoming a Japanese dominance, but you also don't want it to become a European dominance. No, you it's don't. Sort of, you know, you want, you want different bikes in different scenarios. You well, wouldn't want to go to Austria and it'd be a full KTM podium. You'd yeah, want a mixture, it, wouldn't you? It just shows how, you know, how how dominant the Europeans are. And again, I'll touch on um, Elish briefly, because of course he had an absolute shocker with, the pit lane issue and, and things like that, but he could have been on the podium. He, he could have snatched third and it would have been a Maybe, Ducati yeah. KTM Aprilia. Yeah. So, and of course for the championship, Bear's not thinking about really for, from Malaysia's point of view, because that was, this was the race to, to really make up points. And... Well, I, I thought the same thing with Fabio, really, you know, when I saw Alesh come mm. into the pits and I saw Peko in 12th, I thought Fabio, if you could pull anything out here, even a top yeah. five, I thought this is it. Like this has got to be it. But Saturday threw a spanner in the works. And like I said in the Discord chat, which if you want to join the Discord to discuss this with us and everybody else in the community, go to the podcast Twitter profile or my Twitter profile, you'll find it. But um, I was discussing this with other people in the sense of when you have such little dry tra track time in comparison to other weekends, when you've got a Friday, granted a long session on Friday, and now what did they have? An hour and 15, was it? Hour and hour and 20 something mm. like that that's all they had that's all they had because saturday was wet and they had 20 minutes on sunday to sort of go let's do a half race run do you know what i mean it they wouldn't have done it for any other reason they wouldn't have spent sunday on anything else so yeah it was so weird because you know like i say you just saw riders come through that you could see there was a lot of guessing wasn't there there was a lot of not just guessing like a a mystery box type thing in, in the sense that they just pick whatever tyres they wanted. But you could tell on Sunday there was like some people blast, drop back, drop back, drop back. I mean, like Rins. At one point, Rins looked like he was 
about to come through the pack and then he just dropped and dropped and dropped. Well, and yeah, I mean, in. this is this probably lends to why we saw such a, a mix up in the in the order because I guess the, the ones who've done don't have anything to fight for points wise, championship wise, this could I mean. take could take the setup risks. Whereas you this have is to, what I, I mean, guess yeah, the, yeah. yeah. And, and it's it's just shown. I mean, like I said, Fabio in eighth, you had I mean, Bastianini, technically, mathematically, he could still win the championship. So, obviously, he's not going to hold back. And if we're moving on to that point with Banyaya throwing away points, I mean, oh, I, the, the problem is, from what I can see, he's he what he was desperate just to get past Fabio. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Fabio's probably... I don't know if he's intentionally done this or if or if it's just happened this way, but he's, he's almost kind of backed... Banyaya up into Bastianini, let a big gap get in front with Vinales so that if if Banyaya and Bastianini were to pass him, they wouldn't be able to catch up to Vinales anyway. So the, the points wise, he wouldn't have lost all that much. But I mean, maybe that's the sensible thing to do, I suppose, if you were yeah, those, those shoes of fabric. Exactly. Yeah. It, I saw a point and it was like, I mean, I don't read too much into this, but it, it did make me think in the fact that when it's a leash, Banyaya's won. There's been no crashes, he's won. When it's been Marquez, been no crashes, oh, yeah. Yeah. he's won. When it's been Fabio, Saxon Ring crashed out. You know, Japan crashed out. Mm. Magello last year when it was, if Fabio gets to the front, or was it, yeah, yeah last year when it was like, if Fabio gets to the front, it's over. By Naya led, crashed out on the first lap yeah. of the race. I know there was a lot more going on that weekend with, you know, the passing of Jason to pass game and whatnot, but... It does make me think a little bit when it comes to those like late breaking maneuvers against Fabio, unless there's a big straight that you can just zap him down. It's like, I don't want to say they panic with, with Ducati, but I think to Saxon ring and when it, when you've gone past that first straight and it's all twisty and whatnot, and it's, you know, down to corner speed and they know they're at a deficit to Fabio. It's like shit or bust. Like what, what what do we do here? Like, do we just, do we stay? Do we push and keep the pressure on him? So, you know, Fabio makes a mistake. I, I, I don't know. It just seems very hit and miss when it comes to near Fabio. Like I say, I don't read too much into it, but it did make me think a little bit in the sense of if you're, if you're Pecco there, I, I, I mean, I, I, there's a reason he's on the bike and I'm sat here talking about it. He clearly knows what he's doing more than I do, granted. But would you not think... If you had a better pace than him, which it looked like he might have done, or like you say, Fabio might have just been backing up into him, would you not wait until the back straight and then maybe try and make a lunge there? Because although it's yeah. a hard pass, that's where his bike's going to benefit from the most because tire wear doesn't really come into it apart from braking at the end, which the Ducati would have probably caught him by then anyway. I personally think, I think he wasn't really battling Fabio. He was battling Bastianini, personally. For yeah, me, I mean, you could say that, just, but you, you I can't think, tell me Pekka with C in front of him is like. Well, uh, yeah, but you know, like, but for me, for me, he's thinking I get past Fabio, right now. If I get past past Fabio now, the the only other chance that Bastianini can get past Fabio is down the straights, down the back straight. And by by the time he does that, I'm hopefully I'm away to the checkered flag. He's he's probably thinking I just want to put Fabio between me and Bastianini because. <laughs> Bastianini was on, and like we saw in the last race, that there's definitely 
already some bad blood forming between them two, I think. You think? And I, I think, yeah, and I'm thinking Bastianini's rattling Banyaya a little bit. I think he's... Mm-hmm. is thinking to himself, I could be... You know, I've lost five points to him at, at um, Aragon, which was a needless five points got to lose. By, got beat by him in Le Mans. Crashed yeah. out due to Bastianini's pressure in Le Mans. I think he's, he's rattled by him because Bastianini is not a Jack Miller. If that was Jack Miller in that situation... Yeah, I thought that. He'd, yeah. he'd be way back. He'd be like, right, I'm, I'll just bunch the pack up and let you take on Fabio. He wasn't. Look how look how close Bastianini was to Bagnaia when Bagnaia made that lunge. To me, I'm thinking, in Bagnaia's head, he's like, right, I need to get past Fabio. As This is the last lap. I need to get past him as early as possible on this lap and hope that Fabio holds up Bastianini. So then he's got some kind of... I know I know Fabio wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll hold up Bastianini if Fabio would be battling back. But I guess for me, Bagnaia's thought process is probably more just get Banyaya off my ass right now. That's 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 his thought process in my opinion. I think behind the scenes there's a lot of rumblings going on. And I think Banyaya is starting to get a bit a bit peeved. Well I, I don't think next year I don't think we're gonna see a Bastianini Banyaya kiss and make up sort of like no, let's all we... get along and if but if Bastianini's winning Bagnaia's gonna say, All right, well I'll take second I, I don't see it. I, I don't. I don't see that because if you're Peko and you're in Peko's team, you know, like his right hand man or his dad or whatever, you you have got to be sitting there saying to him, surely, if you keep doing that, you're going to be one. You're, if if it comes to it and there's a talent that comes through like a Bastianini, you're going to be the one getting booted out, whether you like mm. it or not. You cannot in that position. I mean, I look at like what Rossi said when. Um, when Lorenzo joined Yamaha, and he jokes now in saying, like, I, you know, when it happened, Yamaha, I thought, really? Like, I've won you this, that, and the other, and you bring in somebody that quick. Or almost like to say, I didn't want somebody as quick as Lorenzo. I wanted somebody that I could look better, but not just for that, but in the sense of he'll, he'll cover me, you know, like your Colin Edwards did and the likes of where he, he, he's going to beat them, and Colin Edwards is just going to be a buffer there, whereas... yeah. It, it it does make you think a little bit. Basti, there's no way Bastianini is going into that team next year in playing second ra- second rider. No, no way. He's no not, way. He's not playing second fiddle now. He's not. He, he sees it. Like I said, he thinks, right, I'm 50 points. What is he? Is he still 50? Let me just double check before I say something wrong. Um, um, I'll have a look for you. So Fabio Quattararo is on 219. Bagnaia on 201. Alicia's on 194 and Bastianini is on 170. So 219 to 170 is the gap between. So, so that's 49. That's 49 points. So it is. Bastianini's thinking, it's doable, yeah. But... It is. It's not, obviously. But. And, and, you know, he's probably thinking, right, I'm within two race wins of the championship lead. Now, obviously, the, the chances of me being championship winner are pretty slim. But. Bassinini is probably one of them. He, if he can mathematically still win it, he's going to go for it. And you probably look at the the payments, the bonus payments he could get for because let's face it, who thought this Grassini team by this point a rider for Grassini would still be in the the title fight? Because mathematically, he is. So you know, I think personally, he's doing it for obviously his own po- pocket because he thinks, look at these bonus payments I'm getting for all these points and where I'm finishing in the championship standings. Um, but also he's thinking, 
I could still win, and I'm going to go for it. I don't care. I don't care that you know. Oh, I'm. I don't need to race as hard now because I've got the factory seat. That's probably what a lot of people thought he'd do. He'd back off now. He's got the factory seat. He'll play the team game, and he's not doing it. He's not doing well, it at all. What worrying for Francesco is is the fact that Bastianini is in front of Miller in the championship. Right, that's not worrying. The worrying part is is Anea Bastianini on a non-factory bike is on 170 points. Francesco Benai is on 201. So he's 31 points behind Bagnaia. Meaning, mm. meaning if Bagnaia crashes out somewhere and Bastianini wins, he's going to be six points behind Bagnaia, which I'm not saying like you can judge him on that, but even if it finished now, so if this was the last race, 31 points behind, you'd be th- you would be sitting there thinking... He's going to make that up in a factory team. Better, you know, bet more people around him, better engineers, better better everything in, in the sense of, you know, he's on equal terms to Bagnaia as well. He's not going to be on different bike. He, you know, I know he's on the Ducati, but he's not going to be, you know what I mean? He's not going to be like different circumstances. They're going to be same team, same bike, same people around them. 31 points. I don't know. I'm, I I really rate Magnaia, obviously. I mean, how can you not? He's one of the best riders of this generation. He is. There's no doubt about it. Even if you don't win a championship this year, next year, or whatever, you cannot dispute the fact that he's one of the best riders in the world at the minute and will be for the next foreseeable, like, I don't know. I, I don't know how long. Bastianini, too. But you put those two in a cage, it's like... You you can't well, say it's going to come out smelling of roses, can you? Well, exactly. It is, it is almost going to be a similar dynamic to um, that, Lorenzo though. and Rossi. But we I need think, that in the sport. Think, we yeah, need I think it. GP needs it. And, you know, who knows who's whispering in Bastianini's ear, but I don't, I, you know, Donna won't be saying, oh, yeah, play the team game just because, you know, it's bad sportsmanship. Donna will be going, yeah, cause a bit of drama because we want. We want yeah. it for the socials. We want, want it for, it for the Saudi Arabia. We want it for the Saudi Arabia finale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, next season it's shaping up nicely because you're going to have the yeah. Spagnaia Bastianini rivalry, and they're probably going to have like the guy on Twitter of it was said. Um, they're probably going to have a wall between them both, yeah. um, built in the paddock. <laughs> I do, I do see it. Um, you're going to have Fabio is obviously going to be involved in it. Um, Elish. Potentially Mark. again, Alish, Mark Marquez. I mean, Mia might maybe show on Mia. Maybe yeah. show on Mia. Mate, just... I, I know people are gonna people people will laugh. People will laugh, but maybe Morbidelli. Maybe that bike looks better. The, the, the current upgrades of it look better. Mm. We might not. We might not see. To be fair, but, this... but even like even the likes of Vinales, Marini, those, this those is... names that are just going to be in and out. Martin. But this is a beauty of MotoGP. All going into yeah. next season, all these potential championship contenders. Again, we love comparing to F1. If you look at next season, who's likely to be a championship contender next season in F1? What you the Ferraris, the Mercs, what? Maybe six laps. I reckon Leclerc. Maybe Sainz. Maybe Russell. Yeah, maybe Hamilton. Uh, that's about it. That's all you're getting. Yeah, you wouldn't put uh, your mortgage on it, though, would you? No, you won't put your mortgage on that. But but again, with with MotoGP, you, you won't the, put your mortgage fucking anywhere with GP. That's for sure. The, the names that that you can just throw out as potential championship contenders. I mean, if KTM could come out with a daft decent bike next season that can qualify 
that, that's good at qualifying on a Saturday and has good race pace, you can throw Brad Binder in the mix yeah. there and then. Yeah. There's so many options, and you know, and we're already what I like about the at the back end of any season, but especially this season, but we're, we're building those narratives for next season. Mm. You know, we're building those storylines already. Um, I'd love, I'd lo- I, not even because it's not my team, so to speak, but and it being like, oh, another team's going to be, you know, falling out. So I could not that, but I would love a bit of rivalry. I would just love it. Like, even I mean, believe it or not, Rossi Lorenzo was hell. Like that was hell for me, just in the sense of like, I adored Rossi, still do. Rossi is my man; he'll always be the goat for me. And I really liked Lorenzo when he came mm-hmm. up through the ranks. So when it was like watching him in the two fifties, I thought, "Oh God, he's so good. I can't wait to get GP." And it was like Yamaha, and I was like, mm. "Oh shit!" <laughs> like I thought, "Oh no!" Like I don't know how that's going to work out. And then yeah, each I- year gets better. And better and better. Yeah. Look at Bassianini. First year got that uh, podium, didn't he, in Mazzano on the Avintia bike? Mm. We thought, oh, okay, cool, yeah, like looks good. Next year, wins straight out the fucking gates, wins four races, gets the factory ride. It's like, okay, like the, the yeah, it, no, either it, rider, right? They're not going to be equal because whoever wins is going to come. You know, they're going to be out on top, aren't they? So there's going to be one of them pissed off. There's going to be one of them pissed off, and even if Magnaia beats him in the first year. If Bastianini comes out the following year on top, like, you know, wins two races straight out of the box, it's going to be like, it's going to put pressure on Pecco. And that, I love that. I love it. It, is. it just it... puts that, it puts another spectacle, like you've said, in the box where you've got Mark being Honda, Fabio being Yamaha. So you've got the, the clash of the Japanese there, right? You've got Aprilia, which are this sort of like left field come out of nowhere in a sense of the fact that they were rock bottom five, six years ago, now challenging on both bikes that they've got in the factory for race wins. Then you've got Ducati, who look like the big powerhouse, but are going to have some politics in between because of the amount of riders that they've got on it anyway. And to me, that just that in itself, I'm sold. I'm just sold yeah. straight away. Yeah, the storylines... For next season, the potential is is incredible. Like you know, we, we all miss the rivalries of the past. Like say, you, you Lorenzo Rossi. I mean, Rossi Stoner had its moments as well. Um, Pedroza Lorenzo was a good one as well. Pedroza Lorenzo, you know, I mean, Simicelli ruffled some feathers back in the day. Yeah. You know, you had all of them, and I think that's what we've been missing. But you can't you can't artificially create it. You know, you can't pretend. There's rivalry when there isn't. That's the worst thing you yeah. can do. But when it's genuine, when it's authentic, it, there's nothing better than it. And you can't beat it. And we need more of that. And I yeah. mean, you know what? I was just about to say on that point. You know who reminds me of Simoncelli? Top rag. He, yeah. He gives me Simoncelli vibes in the sense of like, he's just very like, I don't care. You know, people are yeah, like, they... you can't break like that. You, you, know, you can't be going to the inside of people with your rear wheel. It's like, I don't care. Like, do you know what I mean? He's not he's not phased in the slightest about giving it elbows or rough racing or just full on sends it or and he's really quick. I get top rack vibes from from that. Uh, Simoncelli vibes from top rack. I don't know why apart from that, but I just do. I don't think there's many people in GP is there now that you can look at and say there's they're like Simoncelli cuz you know, I don't want to speak ill of him or speak way more than what people might think we should speak of him. But Simoncelli, to me, was one of the up-and-coming greats. Like I thought it would be race winner, championship fighter, maybe, in the future. 
Yeah, he was. He had such character that I'm like, we need that. We need it. Yeah, definitely. It's something we're sorely missing, and and the sooner we can get that, and the sooner we can get some some proper championship battles going, some clashes. You it's know, like the, and... the sort of person that's not there to kiss and you know be mates. Uh, that's one thing a lot of people don't like. A lot of the older generation don't like it, where you see riders you know shaking hands and like Honda and yet like Mark and Fabio get on really well, don't they? People not that keen on it because it's like you know he's Honda, he's Yamaha, they shouldn't get on, and you know Simoncelli. As much as he was, you know, polite and civilised with everybody, he did not give a toss about mm-hmm. being mates with Lorenzo or Pedroza or Stoner or whoever. He was there for one thing, to win. Like, he did not give a jot. If it meant if it meant you and him, last lap, you were getting, you know, you were getting the, uh, the short end of the stick. And that, to me, I'd love to see top racking GP. I don't know if it'll happen because... Well, his manager seems to be against the uh, idea of it, but who knows? We might see it in 2024, but anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Rider of the day, Josh, who are you giving? Because Matt's giving it to KTM. He's not giving a rider of the day, he's giving a manufacturer of the day, um, <laughs> or constructor, if you like. So Matt has given it to KTM for getting both back to the top five. Understandable. So maybe he's giving it to, let's say, Brad Binder, because he's got it on the podium. So Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's understandable for to give it to Binder. But to be fair, when he starts so high up on Saturday, you you kind of know he's going to finish high on a Sunday. Because yeah, but that bike has been known man. to drop back, hasn't it, to be yeah, fair? I mean, that's true. Um, I'm giving it Mark. Yeah. I'm giving it Marquez for that ride, considering the injuries, considering a couple of crashes I think he had this weekend. I know he had one in warm-up. Um and a lot of pressure, you know. I mean, that guy's not fucking—he's not phased by pressure, like. But to come back and have a, you know, a race in Honda's back garden with the the Honda Honda Honchos there, you know, that's a lot of weight on his shoulders. Like Fabio, it was, you know, for for Fabio when you look at all the other bikes in Honda and Yamaha not doing anything. But for Mark, yeah, real real good ride. I'll I'll pick Mark. Um. Oh god, it's a tough one really. Tough one. Probably Marini. I'll give it to Marini again. You know, again under the radar ride, sixth place. Um beating a few a few people. Not that he sh- shouldn't be beaten, but you know, that are quite big scallops, I guess. Um you know, it's just a, a solid performance and I'm just so impressed with how he's been riding, really. Um again, I think he'll just go from strength to strength now. And we should see more of it. So, yeah, yeah, Marini for me. Okay, which leads us on finally to MotoGP Fantasy. Um, not even looked. Not even looked. Well, yeah. Josh, you have dropped to P3. So the top three is... Or were you P3? You might have been P3 before, actually. P3 anyway, P3. I think. Yeah, we have Tex Team from Italy in P1 on 1,691.5 points. We have 4646 from what I believe is Indonesia... Um, in second with 1,657 points and Tiger Motorsport which is obviously Josh in third with 1,630.5 points now Josh you have used your boost the top three have all used the boost apart from P4 who I believe that is the Uganda abbreviation um, for Nulabali who sits on 30 points behind you Josh so Oof. you might get pipped to the podium for that but um, I I could. yeah I got, well, how many points did you get, Josh, this weekend? 79. I got 87. So 
proof in the pudding that I'm not all that bad. I just had a very awful first half of the season. So did you have Marquez in your team? This I did. Time? Yeah, uh, not this time, no, because obviously he did well, so I wouldn't have him, would I? Because um, <laughs> you had it I... for pretty much most of the races he was out, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. But I did. Ha I had. I mean, yeah. In terms of the results, I had Fabio eighth, Bastianini ninth, Ducati who won, Marini. Fifth, I think it was no fourth, sixth, sixth, wasn't he? Um, and Bezeki, who I think finished tenth, so not great, but not bad. Um, can't win them all, can you? Well, if you're me, you can't win any of them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, all in all, I think. Wait, I'm trying to think where Matt is, but I always forget Matt's actual team name. He's probably yeah, in front I, of me. I, I mean, it's not hard to be in front of me, like, but um, yeah, hopefully, we can do a prize for the person that wins it. So if it's text team or 46 46, then. Guess we'll see. Do I get one? If it's Josh, then I no, no, I don't no. think. Maybe a Derby County true. shirt if you fancy it. Mm. I'll have a Notts County shirt mm. or a Notts Forest shirt. One of them no, two. If you want a Notts, I'm not even going to say that. But um, <laughs> if you want one of their shirts, then I'm going to announce my uh, retirement from the Red Sector podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's that's been it from us. Josh, do you want to sign off with the socials? Uh, yeah, go on then. So of course. Um... You can follow me at Red Sector Josh on Twitter. Um, you can follow Bono at Bono GP on Twitter. Um, underscore, of course. <laughs> we also have his um, Discord group as well, so don't forget to check that out. Um, we also have Matt Polanski one on Twitter, and don't forget to check out, of course, our socials as well as a Red Sector GP on Twitter and on um, Instagram as well as we post up there sometimes. So, yeah. And next time we'll see you in Thailand. So with that, keep the throttle pinned. <laughs> <laughs>